Are you running the race? I hope you are. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And those of you that are astute students might say, haven't you already preached on this? Yes, I have. But it's not the same sermon. And I think it's something that we need to all go back and reconnect with. Because I think it has some good information that we need to really make sure that we digest and absorb. So I want to go back and I want to ask you a question. Are you in it to win it? Are you in it to win it? Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. May God add to the reading of his word here this morning. In it to win it. I hope you join me this morning and say that I am in it to win it. You know, our culture is absolutely fascinated with sports. I'm fascinated with sports. And I would say to you this morning, church, that there is nothing wrong with sports. There is nothing wrong with watching sports or participating in sports. Still, we are a sports-crazed culture. Can I hear an amen? amen? Consider the huge sums of money that are associated with sports in America. Did you know that Yankee Stadium in New York City cost $1.7 billion to build? Can you imagine that? A stadium where people pay good money to watch an athlete hit a leather ball with a tree limb. $1.7 billion. If any of you know anything about sports, you know a great baseball player. His name is Clayton Kershaw. Plays for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Was at one time, probably not now, that he's been surpassed, the highest paid professional baseball player in America. He enjoyed a salary of $33 million a year, $4 million more than the second highest paid player, who is Justin Verlander, who made a paltry $28 million a year playing for the Detroit Tigers. And then in football, you had a man by the name of Andrew Luck, who played football for the Indianapolis Colts, who signed a $140 million contract for six years. He received a $32 million signing bonus. And if he gets hurt and can't play football, he receives $87 million. Jerry Richardson, who used to own the Carolina Panthers, had a net worth of $1.5 billion. So if you consider church, player salaries, stadium cost, money for tickets, and other money which comes through the sale of franchise merchandise, sports in America is around a $77 billion business a year. We Americans love our sports. And we're not the first generation that was obsessed with our athletes. The ancient Greeks so loved their sports. They had the Olympic Games at Mount Olympus. They had the Pythion Games at Delphi. They had Ismenian Games over in Corinth. 
And athletes in ancient Greece were more popular than philosophers, generals, or even their national leaders. Ancient athletes were the rock stars. They were the celebrities of their day. The Greeks and the Romans, they built great coliseums. They built amphitheaters. They built stadiums all to host their athletic games. And the athletes who participated in ancient sports, they were rigorously trained. Their training included physical training, mental training, spiritual training even. Ancient athletes, they ran to please their gods, their nation, and their king. So the ancient race was a very religious experience. Before the race, a priest would sacrifice an animal. The athlete would then wash their hands in the blood of that sacrifice. And that was testifying publicly that they had observed all the rules of training, that they had kept all the laws of their religion, that they would keep the rules of that race, and that they would run for the glory of their king. Ancient athletes sacrificed everything, everything for their sport, and they did without the common comforts of life. They were hard men who had been strengthened through the difficult and rigorous training and regimented diets that they had to be uh, a part of. And they, listen, they were in it to win it. They were in it to win it. They did not enter to come in second or third or fourth place. They were in it to win it. And if they won the race back then, they would receive what was called a laurel wreath. And they would enjoy celebrity status in their country. That's the background. That is the image that these verses I just read to you gives us. The writer says that we're in a race. That we're not in a physical race in some type of a big old stadium. That we are, church, in a spiritual race. And in this passage, the writer teaches us how we can run a successful race for the glory of our God. Amen? And I want you to notice the steps to victory that are offered in this text as I preach this thought, in it to win it. Join me in verse 1. You will... Must, you must commence the race. Verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you pay attention, depending on your version of the Bible, you'll see the words in that first verse, we, us, and our, demonstrating that the writer is talking to believers. To be in a race... You must first enlist in that race, and the race that we're talking about here is called the Christian life. The Christian life. The only way to get into this particular race is you must be saved by the grace of God. See, an ancient athlete, citizenship was a requirement for a runner to be eligible to run in that race. And let me just say to you this morning, church, that citizenship is still a requirement for spiritual runners. That's you and I. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 teaches us that faith in Jesus results in citizenship in God's kingdom. Listen at this. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just so you know, citizenship in the kingdom is not, is not obtained by good works. 
It's not attained by church membership. It's not attained by baptism. It's not attained by any other physical works. Citizenship in God's kingdom comes solely and only through faith in the gospel of Christ. Amen? That is the only way. So when we humble ourselves, when we admit our sins to God, when we possess a willingness that we're going to repent of those sins, when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when we embrace the truth that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that Jesus literally rose out of the grave, we are made citizens in God's kingdom. If you want to be in the race, you got to do the things that I just shared with you. As citizens, we are automatically entered into the race. Now, my question that begs asking this morning to every one of us is, are you a hope-so Christian or are you a no-so Christian? Well, I hope, James, that I, uh, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I, I, I hope I am. You can't be when a person that says, I hope. you got to know. You have to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to heaven when you die. If you're sitting out here this morning and you're saying, well, James, I hope so. I, I hope I'm going to get there. Man, I'm just praying I'll get there. You are in trouble. You should know. You should know. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. Whether you be of the faith, prove your own selves. You have to know so. Consider the evidence of salvation in your life to determine whether you are qualified to run the race or whether you are disqualified to run the Christian race. How do you know for sure? James, how do I know? Well, John tells us in 1 John a number of scriptures. Let me give you a few. I want to just share with you a few pieces of evidence which you can help use to determine if you are saved as you're sitting in front of us today or not. Listen at the scripture. First, do you obey the word of God? 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. And hereby, we do, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keep not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word... In him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought to also do so and walk even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. The second thing, the second way you can know, do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? 1 John chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. Whosoever abideth in him sins not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither do they know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the very beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. 
For he's his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Now I know one of the things you're thinking is, James, do you think for a minute we don't sin? This is talking about habitual sin. That, you, that your life is really built around a sinful life. That you're living for the world. That you're doing things contrary to God's word. Listen, we all, including myself, that we fall short of the glory of God. Amen? The scripture tells us that. So I don't want you to take that out of scripture. So what James just read a scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verses 6-10, through 10, that says if you, you sin, you're of the devil. If you habitually sin, you are of the devil. Because a Christian is not going to be habitually living their lives in sin. Do we stub our toe and make mistakes and sin? Sure we do. Do I do that? Sure I have. But if I'm living a life that habitually that's how I live my life, I'm not of the God, I'm of the devil. Here's the other thing. Do you love the saints of God? 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If you're sitting beside somebody right now thinking, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. I don't like that person. Well, come to think of it, I don't like them, them, or them either. We're in the house of God. We're supposed to love our brothers and sisters. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That's women and men. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Listen, if we don't love each other, we have got some issues. If we can't love brothers and sisters in Christ, we have some issues. Now listen, I've got many issues. But one of my issues is not loving my brother. You make it easy. For one and I to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it goes beyond this church, by the way. We got brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere around us. And there's much more that I could share with you if we had time this morning out of 1 John. Just go to 1 John. But these are just a few verses that give us, listen, the evidence that we need to determine, am I saved or not? Just go to 1 John. I've listed three passages right there. There's many more in 1 John. But the question that begs asking that I'm leading up to is, are you in the race or are you not in the race? If you are in the race, then praise the Lord. If you're not in the, ra uh, in the race, then I would say one other thing. You need to come to Jesus. You need a come to Jesus meeting, as they say. The only path to victory in this race that I'm talking about this morning is in Jesus. You cannot run the race until you commence the race. Which leads me now to the second thing I want to share with you. You must continue this race. Again, what we've already shared in verse 1. Look at the latter part of verse 1. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, the race can get long and weary. Can it not? Amen. But look to the great witnesses that is found in Hebrews chapter 11. They're not watching us run, but their race is a testimony to every one of us here today. They ran their race. God was faithful to them, and he was faithful to their race. Their witness that you read about in Hebrews chapter 11 stands as an encouragement to us. 
Here's another question I beg asking this morning. Are you tired? Are you weary? Enoch says, heaven is just one step away for you. Do you have troubles in your life? Guess what? Noah would say to us, keep on running. There's no calamity that can stop you. Are you looking at impossibilities in your life? Abraham says nothing is impossible with God. Are you one here that's sitting this morning saying, I'm discouraged? Sarah says, if God can give me a baby in my very old age, he can strengthen you too. Do you have enemies? Moses says no foe can stop you. Run on. Keep pressing on. Are you dealing with sin in your life? You know what Rahab says? I was a sinner, but God helped me run on. Run your race. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 through 40, teaches us that all the saints mentioned in that chapter, they ran the race and they ran a good race. If they succeeded with the help of God, so can you. So can I. And the writer here mentions two issues that can hinder our race. There are some things here that can hinder this race. And both of these issues can result in disaster in this personal race that we're, that we're running. Let me just share with you those couple of things. There are things that can encumber us. The writer here mentions weight. Look what it says. Lay aside every weight. And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Things that can weigh you down. I think about extra weight. It can be disastrous, physically speaking. Extra weight can be disastrous to an athlete, right? Amen? If I tried to run a physical race, a marathon, it would be a disaster. I weigh too much to run well. Uh, Amy, you can say Amen. I hear nobody saying amen to that. I don't want to insult the preacher by amen in that one. But the writer here is not talking about physical weight. He's talking about spiritual. There are many legitimate things that can slow us down. Paul speaks about this very same issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He writes, all things are lawful to me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. So if we're going to run the race well, we must sharpen our focus in life. Paul speaks about that issue in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, brethren, I count myself to have apprehended, not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forget the things that are behind, reach forth to those things which are before me. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we can, church, focus our attention on many, many good things in life, and we can still miss out on the best thing in life. Did you just comprehend what I said? Because that deserves an amen. We can focus our attention on many good things in life, but we still can miss the best thing in life, which is walking with the Lord in a submitted, committed, close, personal, intimate relationship. You can do a lot of good things, but you don't want to miss out on the best. That is the best. And there are things which can not only encumber us, but they can entangle us. 
The writer speaks here of a besetting sin in the, in the King James Version. That phrase, besetting sin, just simply, simply means skillfully surrounding. And here's what the idea is that it carries. Anything that prevents the runner from running his race or her race. Things that can entangle us. It's items like, and I shared this back weeks ago, it could be like long clothing that would prevent the runner from running well. Uh, they could get tripped up. They could get entangled. They could get hindered in their race. And that is exactly why, now if you go back and look at the, the ancient Greeks when they ran, the ancient Greeks in, in Greece and in Rome, they ran, close your ears, naked. Close your eyes too. But, yeah, there's a song about that about 40 or 50 years ago. But I want you to notice the, the words in verse 1, the words thee and easily. That word thee is a definite article. If you go back to school, tells us that there is a specific sin that can beset us. That sin can vary from one person to the next person. That word easily reminds us of the seriousness of the danger. Our besetting sin is always around us. It's always attempting to entangle us in its web, and it will hinder our race. What might be uh, something that could be sinful for you might be different for me. That could get me off chart, might not get you off chart, and vice versa. So we got to be, here's the thing, church, we've got to be on constant guard against our sin because sin is ruthless and it deserves no mercy from us. We, listen, I'm going to put it in simple 2024 terms. We must hate sin and we must fight it. Hate sin. Because it can bring disaster to our race in life. We need God's help. We need God's power to break free from these sins that can ensnare us. And so we can, we can win this battle against sin, but it's got to be the battle of the Lord. We've got to allow Him to help us to battle it. We're told here to run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, we might be running fast and we might be running light, but we can be disqualified if we allow ourselves to get distracted from the things of this world, from the things that are of the devil. He would like nothing more than to distract us from the things that are the best things in life. Walking with the Lord, being committed to the Lord, having a personal relationship with the Lord, walking with Him daily. We've got to break free from that, win that battle. And listen, I am to run my race, and I must not be distracted by other runners around me. I've got to stay in my own lane, just like you do when you're running a race around a track. You've got to stay in your lane. I must keep the rules of the race. But listen, the race is not about us. We must help others, but we must run our own race. And so we got to find out what God's plan is for our life. we got to find out what God's path is for our life and run in that lane. And what it is for me is different for you. Does that make sense? God didn't make us all alike. So what might be your lane and the things that God has asked you to do may be a little different than what he's asked me to do. But don't let the sights and the sounds all around us in this world distract you from what he, has, what he wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Because there's a lot of things that can throw you out of that race and get you off chart. 
All these distractions around us. All these things that can press down hard on us. All these things that can discourage us and get us off track. you got to stay focused. I have to stay focused. My path is to preach the Word of God. What is your path? We must run this race, it says, with patience. Patience means endurance. And the race we're called to run, listen, church, it is not going to be easy. And in fact, the word race comes from the word that means agony. And that's what a race is. Imagine the agony of running a 26-mile marathon. I hope, if I was running that, there would be an ambulance nearby. Because I would be in complete agony, not even getting to the first mile. My tongue would be hanging out. I'd be laying sprawled on the uh, highway. And you would be saying, what happened to James? He is passed out. Tongue out at all. Amen. God may let you run in a different lane one of these days, but there is never, listen, and I want you to pay particular attention to what I'm getting ready to say. God may let you run in a different lane one of these days, but there will never be a place for you to quit. There's never a place for us to quit. Now, I, I say that because I have heard people, even in my own family, well, you know we're up in age, and I used to do this in the church, and I did that, and I taught, and I was a deacon, and I did all these things, but uh, you know what? Let the young people do it now. You show me where that's biblical. I've heard it. I've heard it in my own family. When you get a certain age, let the young people do it now. Well, yeah, let the young people do it, and you still do what God called you to do. Till you take your last breath. Amen? He's got something for you to do. Now listen, I understand the physical thing that comes when you... Uh, listen, I, I get sometimes when I get up in the morning, I'm only almost 63. And when I get up in the morning, I'm like, man, that hurts. That aches. I'm hobbling to the bathroom. Wanda's howling, what's wrong with you? I don't know, I must be getting old. I don't feel good. I'm honking and, oh, that hurt. Oh. But I can't quit. In the, in the spiritual realm, we can't quit. Here's what we got to do. Listen, church, we got to settle down, settle in, and just run and be in the race to win it. I'm in it to win it. So you got to commence the race. You got to continue to race. Finally, in verses two and three, you must complete the race. Verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The race we're called to run, listen, church, it is hard. It is difficult. And this way is filled with danger and distractions and difficulties and things that can get us off chart. But how do we run this race in a successful manner? And the writer, I believe, here tells us precisely how we're to run. And I'm going to give it to you very simply. We are to run our race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen. There you go. If you don't make up but one note on your little sheets there today, put that one on there. We are to run our race with our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus. Let me take it one step further. Not only individually, but as a church. When we as a church take our eyes off of Jesus, we will be in trouble. Amen? 
We got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus collectively as a church, individually as a person, and the writer tells us how we're to do that. So we're to be encouraged by the saints who ran the race before us. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll begin to see that. We are inspired by those who run well around us. So our race is to be run for Him and for Him alone. Who are we running this race for? It's not for ourselves. It's not for each other. We're running our race for Jesus. Amen? And the only way to accomplish this is that we got to run with our focus on Him. Now, I want you to go back for just a moment. Think about the ancient Greek runners. They ran their race to win what was called a laurel wreath. They ran their race because they wanted status in their country. They ran that race because they wanted the celebrity status that came along with it for the society. When an athlete won their race, listen, back then all their debts would be paid off. They were given a salary for life. And they ran for earthly riches and success. But listen, church, that is not why we run. That is not why we run. We, as believers, we are to run for Jesus. We're told here that we're to run looking. That word look means to fix our eyes upon. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're to run for His glory and His glory alone. Listen, you are not my example and I am not your example. Amen? Does that make sense? I love you and I appreciate everything about you. I hope you love me and appreciate certain things about me. Don't ask Wanda. Uh, but, but here's the thing. You're not, I'm not running for you. You're not running for me. You're not my example. I'm not your example. There's only Listen, there's only one worthy of our focus. Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the completer of our faith. Jesus opened this trail and he finished the race for us. Jesus ran the race perfectly, and he ran this race for you and for me, for us. Jesus is the only one that we have to please. I'm not here to please you. You're not here to please me. I'm here to please Jesus. You're here to please Jesus. So we still have something in common. Amen? Jesus blazed that trail that we're to run. Jesus is the only one we have to to please, and it is for him and him alone that we are to run this race. Now listen, some people are natural born athletes, while others can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Anyone can run that spiritual race that God has set out for them to run. Natural athletes depend on their genetic advantages. They depend on this genetic advantage that they've been given in life, and some have been given very good genetic advantages. Spiritual athletes, that's you and I, we depend on what we received when we were regenerated. We became new life. There was a, there was, listen, there was a time when we could not walk with God because we were dead in our trespasses and we were dead in our sin. But when the Lord saved us, he gave us the ability to walk with him so that we could run this great race for his honor and for his glory. Amen? Natural athletes slow down with age. Spiritual athletes only grow stronger with age. Let me say that again. Natural athletes, 
Physical athletes, they slow down with age. That's why you don't see people that's in their 50s and 60s most of the time running marathons. That's why you don't see people in their 50s playing uh, pro football. That's why you don't see 45, 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds playing baseball, not for the most part, because what happens? We slow down with age. Spiritual athletes, which should be us, we only grow stronger with age. So Jesus is perfect, and certainly we can't run the race the way he did, but I'll tell you, he blazed that trail before us, and he gives us everything we need to run the race and to run it well. He will empower and he will enable us to run this race with confidence. The Apostle Paul says, I yield my life to Jesus and he runs through me. So we got to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our eyes on Jesus alone. Listen, don't be distracted by other people. Don't be distracted by sin. Don't be distracted by your personal issues. You just run to please the one that will judge our race. Run to please Jesus. We're told that Jesus here endured the cross because he looked beyond the cross. That what would come to him on the other side of that cross, and verse 2 tells us. It says in verse 2 that Jesus endured the cross that Jesus persevered in spite of hatred, in spite of the pain and the suffering that he felt, in spite of the separation uh, from his Father. Jesus endured the cross because there was something beyond the cross, church, that he valued and he wanted. And we're told here that he despised the shame, which just simply means that he thought nothing of or he counted as nothing the shame that would come to him because of his death on the cross. Because Jesus, listen to me church, he wanted what was on the other side of the cross. And what was it? Verse 2 tells us when it says to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. On the other side of the cross. So listen, let's boil this down. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus was buried, when Jesus rose up again, he was able to send back up to heaven as a perfect man. And on the cross, Jesus overcame everything that Adam had done to plunge humanity into sin and judgment. Jesus endured our torment. Jesus was punished for our sins. Jesus endured the wrath of God so that we might be saved and delivered from our sins and saved from the wrath of God. Amen? What was worth so much to Jesus? Well, he... He did what he did for the glory of God who is in heaven. God was glorified when sin was forever judged on that cross in the person of his son. And the joy that was set before him was the glory of God. Also, Jesus endured all that he did, listen church, so that he might himself be, uh, himself be the perfect bride, the bride of Christ. He's talking about the bride of Christ here. The joy that was set before him was you. The joy that was set before Jesus was you. The joy that was set before Jesus was all of you. Jesus suffered church horrendous agony to run the perfect race to save your soul. Have you ever personalized that? Jesus did not quit until he had the prize. 
He didn't quit until he cried out, It is finished. Your salvation, my salvation, and our eternal standing was the joy that was set before him. Verse 3 here tells us that we're to remember Jesus and what he did for us when he died for us on that cross. So let me just say this. Let's look at this application. When you grow weary as you're running this race, as I grow weary as I'm running this race, when your resolve grows weak, when you think about I'm giving up and I'm just quitting this and I'm getting out of the race, we are to look to Jesus, listen to me church, and remember what he did for us. Remember what he did for you. Because I believe, church, that his example is enough to keep even the weakest saint in that race. Keep them in the race. So let me close with this this morning. How's your race going? I want you to think about that this morning, church. How is your race going? And if you need help, you should ask the Lord to help you with whatever you need to run the race and to run the race well. And I would say to you this morning, if you're not in this race, it's an invitation to you to get into the race. Come to Jesus, and he will get you on the right track. He will enable you to run for his glory. Make every effort to run for the glory of God. We have a long race that is set before us. But let God's help, let's seek God's help, to run the very best race that we're capable of running. He gave his best and he gave his all for us. Why would we not give our best for him? I've shared this with you before. I'll share it again. There is nothing, no ministry in this church that's insignificant. Whether you're vacuuming a floor, taking care of the babies, cleaning up the trash, cleaning up a fellowship building, preaching from the pulpit, you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher, you play the piano, you play the organ, you lead worship, there is nothing that we do for the glory of God that's insignificant. Taking care of the children downstairs, teaching the children downstairs. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't want to miss any ministry. There's plenty of them out there. But make sure that we are in it to win it. We got this long race. We have God that's in control. We are capable. Marcy, you're capable. Lynn, you're capable. Mike, you're capable of turning in world-class performance because God has given us that ability. And I pray this morning that we're in it to win it because you can. We may stub our toe. I've seen race people around the tracks or people that's on bicycles that they fall off, they brush off the dirt and they get back on the bike and they run, they're pedaling again. In it to win it. We don't give up. We keep persevering. This is not mustering up our own strength. So I don't want you to think, what James is saying, we got to muster up, no, not mustering up our strength, it's God's strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we're doing it for his honor and for his glory. In it to win it. I don't know about you, but I hope you join me this morning saying, I'm in this race and I'm in it to win it. All the way to heaven. This is not talking about earning anything either, by the way. We are not a faith that believes that we earn anything. We deserve nothing. We are only saved by the grace of God. But if I'm going to run this race, I'm going to run it to the best ability that I can because Jesus certainly ran the best race for me 
that he possibly could all the way to the cross. And so I'm going to give my best until I don't have a last breath in me. And I hope you'll do the same. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for this challenge this morning. We are all, whether we like it or not, we're in a race. The race of life. And I pray, Lord, that this, these brothers and sisters in Christ will join me this morning. says, I'm, I'm with James. We're in this race together. We're in it to win it. And I'm going to stay in my lane, whatever it is that God has in plan for me, whatever he wants me to do for him, however way I can minister or worship. And I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to run the race, and I'm going to run it the best I know how to do. I'm going to give it my all with our focus being on Jesus. Not the things of this world, not the things that can get us off track, not the things that can get us out of the race. We're in it to stay in our lane and do what God has us here on this earth for. And what it is for me, Lord, I know is different from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And even more so, Lord, there may be somebody here today that has heard this message that can say, I'm one of those hope-so Christians. I'm not a no-so. I'm not really sure. Or I've never really made that decision. And I just pray, Lord, that if that is one this morning that says I'm a hope-so Christian, I'm not, I don't know for sure, I pray that they'll come during invitation time or come to me afterwards and let me share with them how simple, how easy that you have made this for us to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. So, Lord, we thank you for the challenge this morning. I pray that we're all up to it and that we'll be focused on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.